European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 4, Focus Issue on Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucher. An update on arrhythmias, mechanisms, and novel devices. Besides this year's publication of the ESC guidelines in atrial fibrillation, and last year's ESC guidelines on sudden death prevention, the field of arrhythmias has seen many important contributions, mechanisms, and use of novel devices as carefully reviewed in The Year in Cardiology 2016, Arrhythmias and Pacing, by Ricardo P. Capato and colleagues from the Instituto Clinico Humanitas in Rosano, Milan, Italy. An important novel device in arrhythmia management is the subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator that has been used already in special patient populations. As outlined in the review, the subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator state-of-the-art review by Paul A. Friedman and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, this innovative implantable cardioverter defibrillator, or ICD, provides prevention of sudden cardiac death while avoiding the numerous complications associated with transvenous leads. To that end, this relatively novel device employs an innovative approach to sensing and defibrillation from outside the thoracic cage. Substantial data from cohort studies and registries have accrued and can be used to inform patient eligibility, implant technique, and efficacy compared with the standard transvenous implantable cardioverter defibrillator. Another novel device is the wearable cardiac defibrillator. As outlined in the review, indications and use of the wearable cardiac defibrillator by Kenneth A. Ellenbogen and colleagues from the Medical College of Virginia in Richmond, USA. Indeed, while the permanent ICD is an effective tool for prevention of sudden cardiac death in individuals at high risk of life-threatening sustained ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation, implantation of such a device is dependent on defining the ventricular substrate, evaluating the future risk of sudden cardiac death, and on the estimation of the patient's overall survival, which is often difficult. If ventricular dysfunction, a surrogate marker for the risk of sudden cardiac death, improves with medical therapy, revascularization, or spontaneously, ICD therapy may no longer be indicated. In this situation, the wearable cardioverter defibrillator provides an option for protection during this vulnerable period when the risk of sudden cardiac death is unclear. It combines an ECG monitoring system with an external automatic defibrillator. The device is a safe and effective tool for prevention of ventricular tachycardia and fibrillation used in situations when the risk of sudden death is unclear, such as in the early phase after acute myocardial infarction with poor left ventricular function below 35%, after acute coronary revascularization procedures and equally reduced left ventricular function, acute heart failure and non-ischemic cardiomyopathy of uncertain duration, and in particular prior to medical therapy. The wearable cardioverter defibrillator also has a role in patients waiting for heart transplantation or who need a ventricular assist device 
and those who have an acute contraindication to implantation, such as active infection. A rare arrhythmia is inappropriate sinus tachycardia, a syndrome characterized by abnormally fast sinus rates and multi-system symptoms, and is still poorly understood. In a basic science article, A Gain-of-Function Mutation in the Cardiac Pacemaker HCN4 Channel Increasing CAMP Sensitivity is associated with familial inappropriate sinus tachycardia, Mirko Baroscotti and colleagues from the Università degli Studi di Milano in Italy used a candidate gene approach and screened inappropriate sinus tachycardia patients for the presence of disease-causing HCN4 mutations because of the relevance of HCN4 channels to pacemaker activity. 48 inappropriate sinus tachycardia patients, four of whom had a known familial history, were enrolled. The R524Q mutation in HCN4 was first identified in one of the patients with familial history. Extension of the investigation to the family members showed that the mutation co-segregated with inappropriate sinus tachycardia-related symptoms. The R524Q mutation is in the C-linker, a region known to couple CAMP binding to channel activation. The functional relevance of the mutation was investigated in heterologous expression systems by patch-clamp experiments. Of note, the mutation HCN4 channels were more sensitive to CAMP than wild-type ones, in agreement with increased sensitivity to basal and stimulated adrenergic input and with a faster-than-normal pacemaker rate. The properties of variant channels indicate, therefore, that R524Q is a gain-of-function mutation. Increased channel contribution to activity was confirmed by evidence that when spontaneously beating rat newborn myocytes were transfected with R524Q mutant HCN4 channels, they exhibited a faster rate than when transfected with wild-type HCN4 channels. This is the first report of a gain-of-function HCN4 mutation associated with inappropriate sinus tachycardia through increased sensitivity to CAMP-dependent activation. These intriguing findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by Vazanth Vedantham and Melvin M. Scheinman from the University of California in San Francisco, USA. Patients with congenital heart disease are particularly prone to arrhythmias of supraventricular or ventricular origin requiring an ICD, or, more recently, also ablation. Such arrhythmias are in part due to surgical scars, ventricular dysfunction, and other arrhythmogenic substrates. The majority of ventricular tachycardias in repaired tetralogy of fallow are related to anatomically defined isthmuses, as investigated by Karcher Zeppenfeld and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands, in their paper Arrhythmogenic anatomical isthmuses, identified by electroanatomical mapping, are the substrate for ventricular tachycardia in repaired tetralogy of fallow. The authors aim to identify specific electroanatomical characteristics of anatomical isthmuses related to ventricular tachycardia, which may allow for individualized wrist stratification and tailored ablation. 
74 consecutive repaired tetralogy of fallow patients underwent ventricular tachycardia induction and right ventricular electroanatomical voltage and activation mapping during sinus rhythm to identify the presence and characteristics of anatomical isthmuses and their width, length, and conduction velocity index. 28 patients were inducible for 41 ventricular tachycardias. All 74 patients had at least one anatomical isthmus. However, anatomical isthmuses in patients with ventricular tachycardia were longer, narrower, and had lower conduction velocity index. 37 ventricular tachycardias in 24 patients were mapped. All anatomical isthmuses related to ventricular tachycardia had a conduction velocity index below 0.5 meters per second. In contrast, anatomical isthmuses without ventricular tachycardia had a conduction velocity index above or equal to 0.5 meters per second. 62 patients were discharged without the presence of a slow-conducting anatomical isthmus, and 10 still had such a substrate. Interestingly, during follow-up, no patient without slow-conducting anatomical isthmus had any ventricular tachycardia, but 5 out of 10 with SCAI had such an event. The authors conclude that in repaired tetralogy of fallow, Slow-conducting anatomical isthmuses, identified by electroanatomical mapping during sinus rhythm, are the dominant substrate for ventricular tachycardia, allowing individualized risk stratification and preventative ablation. The paper is accompanied by an editorial by Edward P. Walsh from Boston Children's Hospital in Massachusetts, USA. Cardiomyocytes generated from human-induced pluripotent stem cells are increasingly used in disease modeling and drug evaluation. However, they are typically a heterogeneous mix of ventricular, atrial, and nodal-like cells based on action potentials and gene expression. This heterogeneity and the paucity of methods for high-throughput functional phenotyping hinder the full exploitation of their potential. In a basic science manuscript entitled Subtype-Specific Promoter-Driven Action Potential Imaging for Precise Disease Modeling and Drug Testing in High PSC-Derived Cardiomyocytes, Karl Ludwig Laugwitz and colleagues from the Technische Universität München in Germany aimed at developing a method for rapid, sequential, and subtype-specific phenotyping of human-induced pluripotent stem cells cardiomyocytes with respect to action potential morphology and single-cell arrhythmias. The authors used cardiac lineage-specific promoters to drive the expression of a voltage-sensitive fluorescent protein in human-induced pluripotent stem cells, cardiomyocytes, enabling subtype-specific optical action potential recordings. In a patient-specific human-induced pluripotent stem cells model of long QT syndrome type 1, Action potential prolongation and frequent early after depolarizations were evident in mutant ventricular-like and atrial-like, but not in nodal-like, human-induced pluripotent stem cells cardiomyocytes compared to their isogenic controls, consistent with the selective expression of the disease-causing gene. Furthermore, they demonstrated the feasibility of sequentially probing a cell over several days 
to investigate genetic rescue of these disease phenotypes and to discern cardiomyocyte subtype-specific drug effects. The authors conclude that by combining a genetically encoded membrane voltage sensor with promoters that drive its expression in the major subtypes of human-induced pluripotent stem cells, cardiomyocytes, they developed a convenient system for disease modeling and drug evaluation in the relevant cell type, which has the potential to advance the emerging utility of human-induced pluripotent stem cells in cardiovascular medicine. These interesting insights are put into further perspective in an editorial by Joseph C. Wu from Stanford University in California, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.